Containers, this is Megan coming at you with another Cantina Conversation. Today's episode features a chat with Alexandra Cristo. We're talking about the book Night Hunt. That book is available now. This was a really fun conversation. I loved um, getting to know Alexandra, uh, what she's done in the past, what draws her to the dark fantasy genre, and um, how she develops these characters and how her characters just kind of drive her world building and all that good stuff. Um, but either way, I'll let you guys get to it. Here is Alexandra. Okay, today we've got Alexandra Christo. We're talking about The Night Hunt. That book is available now. Alexandra, thanks so much for joining us. I really enjoyed meeting like Atia and her, you know, ragtag group of hunters. And um, this is a different story. I Dark fantasy, I can, I like... A, I get into it like a little bit. It takes me a minute because it's like a lot of world building, you know, but um, we'll, yeah, we'll get into it. I'm excited to to chat with you today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to talk about the night hunt. Like I said, like with the world building and stuff. Well, first, how about let's get started. Can you give like a summary of the book so listeners can follow along if they haven't read the book yet? Yeah, of course. So The Night Hunt is kind of my Greek mythology inspired dark romancy book about this girl named Atia, who is actually a monster who feeds off of fear and nightmare. And she has spent her life hiding in the shadows of the world to escape the vengeful gods who killed her family. And then one day she breaks a sacred rule. She kills someone. You're not supposed to do that. And the gods are alerted to her presence and they send a host of all these mythological and horrible monsters to hunt her down. And suddenly she is running for her life. Enter Silas, who is a herald of the gods, basically my take on Hermes and the Grim Reaper. And he offers Atia a deal. He will help her escape and get her vengeance if she helps him to break his own curse. So all you have to do is team up and kill three powerful creatures, a vampire, a banshee, and one of the very gods who destroyed both of their lives. Very simple. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Quite quite the to-do list, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and try not to fall in love, of course. Add that to right. the list. <laughs> right. I want to go into your background because you have a few books, a few titles published. Um, so this is exciting. Got another one under your belt here. Can you go to your background, like maybe... What led you to tell the night hunt, like to to come up with the night hunt and share it with the world? Yes. So like you said, I've written a few books now. I think this is my fifth book, which is crazy to think about. So my debut novel to kill a kingdom was a fairy tale reimagining of the little mermaid. And then I wrote this duology called into the crooked place, which was about dark magic. And then I wrote my fourth book, prince of souls, which was a Rapunzel reimagining. So I've always been really inspired by kind of stories people think they know and putting my own spin and, and my own take on those kind of stories. So when I was thinking up the idea for the night hunt, the first thing that came to mind was Atia's character. And I'd been reading about the goddess Ate from Greek mythology, who was the goddess of mischief and delusion. And she was pretty much just kicked out of Olympus for being too chaotic, which I love. <laughs> and I kind of had to think about her. <laughs> I'm like, we can all relate. <laughs> right. We all love a chaotic queen. <laughs> exactly. Just like think about what that would be like, right? kicked out of your home and kind of forced to live amongst mortals and having all this power and perhaps having to hide it and having to hide in the shadows. And from there, Atia slowly came about this girl who is a monster who feeds off of fear and nightmares. And yet she has stuff in her own nightmares that she is so, so afraid of. So she lives off of fear, but she's also plagued by it. And she's the last of her kind in this world where she doesn't feel like she belongs, where she can never show her true power. 
And then from there, that's kind of where the night hunt was born. I always say that I love to start with characters first and I just layer the world around them. Yeah, because it's, 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 it's character driven, although you did um, it character driven. I love how you say that because you like building the world around um, a specific kind of character in your head. But then your story is very much plot driven. It's it's very much like accomplishing this. So I think that's like kind of almost playing with the sweet spot there. Like the, I think the world that's really smart for like the world building, you kind of have to, cause you have to be consistent, right? And maybe it's easier to be consistent with the character and to, and to start there. Right. <laughs> like base yeah. your, your world, your rules and all that off of um what you've kind of already got set in your head. That's really cool. So yeah, I did mention the world building earlier. Um, <clears throat> Cause yeah, when I like reached our fantasy, it was a genre that I just, you know, kind of came familiar with maybe last year. And I realized like, Oh, actually like, I do like it, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's like a really s- smart way to kind of split up that subgenre. Cause like when you go, I think that there's definitely like a reader base for it. People like, getting a little edgy they they but they still are suckers for like those uh love tropes you know like everyone loves romance to you know to a certain extent i would say but i feel like everyone that's like part of the human experience right is oh, like absolutely. those butterflies and and that like will yeah. they won't they and that's that's the great thing about these books i always say my books are stabby stabby kissy kissy yeah so <laughs> action and the romance you can't have one without the other that's why i love enemies to lovers so much it's like the perfect kind of entanglement of those kind of murderous fancy aspects with the romance aspects yeah yeah absolutely and it's yeah it's like with silas and atia you could tell it was kind of like you know, they were both, that was definitely like a secondary, maybe not even a concern of theirs. It just happened, right? <laughs> like, yeah. they're like, I don't have time for this. I'm not even gonna, like, notice how attractive he is. Like, I don't <laughs> You fall in love without actually realizing you've fallen in love, which is kind of the romances I like, where you start off kind of as these antagonists, you hate each other, you're kind of using each other to achieve these goals, which is very much what Silas and Atti are doing. They're like, okay, we'll work together for now, but only because you're a means to an end for me. Mm-hmm. And along the way, they slowly get to know each other and they break down those walls that they've both spent so long building. And then before yeah. they know it, they're like, oh, actually, you've become this integral, important part of my life and you've helped me grow and adapt and you're someone that I trust fully without even realizing it and that's that's the kind of romance that i love because i feel like that's how it works in real life you don't just wake up one day and go aha i figured out that i love you today it's right. <laughs> just happens over time yeah exactly yeah and you want to make it authentic and realistic so that it doesn't like and it's also you still have the main story to worry about so mm-hmm. it's it's finding that balance and also keeping the reader engaged and um, keeping those other fun parts to it too, like the action adventure part, the stabby stabby parts, right? You have exactly. to like make sure that's still kind of mostly the main thing is uh is the action and stuff like that. So kind of hopping off of that, what draws you to like the dark fantasy um subgenre? Because it's yeah, like you said, it's fairly like a new genre, but it's definitely um kind of how we were saying, I think just people find that they love both and they like a little edge so kind of like can you talk about like how you know how's you touch your interest yeah i think fantasy is a great <clears throat> gateway um it's one it's not just like the fantasy genre like dark fantasy it's one that as we said earlier encompasses kind of all different genres like you have the romance you have the action you have almost a thriller element as well like fantasy is almost like this kind of top banner and underneath it are all these kind of 
little threads weaving off of it. So I love fantasy and dark fantasy for that because I can write very freely and I don't feel like I'm stuck in one thing and also in one world with contemporary books, which I love reading when I sit down to try and write one. All I want to do is just have like magic and have kind of (laughs) dragons and pirates and sirens and, you know, monstrous fear-eating monsters. So I think fantasy for me is a great way to have the stakes a lot higher Mm. and therefore the tension a lot higher, specifically in terms of romance. If you have that dark fantasy where everything is life and death, suddenly every emotion, every touch, every glance is just so amplified because you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders and that person is the only person you can trust right now and you have to trust them with your absolute life. And that for me is just super romantic. <laughs> <laughs> Once you get that aspect of will they, won't they, but it's in a way of will they, won't they kiss each other or will they, won't they kill each other? Right. Like everything is times 100. And that is just super fun for me to write. And it's a really kind of cathartic thing, I guess, <laughs> as an author. And fantasy <laughs> allows this world to almost as well comment on real world issues, like the state of kind of politics, um, it allows you to show kind of young young women and young men, young people campaigning for change and actually in that change in their world and having it make such a dramatic impact. Like in a lot of dark fantasy stories, you have them toppling kind of an evil king or in, in my case, literal gods. And by doing so, they create this brand new world order. And I think that's really inspirational thing for young readers, for young adult readers to show that their voices can make a difference that their actions will create positive change in the world of course you're doing it in this fantastical setting so it doesn't feel like reading a self-help book or anything (laughs) a nice way to like talk about real world issues in a kind of low-key way and still offer that element of escapism alongside that yeah I like how you point that out because there's definitely some like you know, there's little political aspects like you know we obviously we want to be spoiler free but kind of like even though books out come on people (laughs) (laughs) you know at the end of the day when they do like want that change and they were kind of like trying to figure it out what works in that in that context of that world and so i i thought that was really interesting how but but you're absolutely right because a lot of um fantasy books and even like a lot of contemporary books obviously like they do have commentary on like current events and stuff like that and what's like what huge political shifts are, you know, happening globally or locally or whatever. But a lot of it's like, you know, very relies a lot along the lines of um, similar things like, you know, changing like leadership, like something's not working or, you know, you, you look at like mass migration or people kind of like, you know, being oppressed, like kicking you, you know, kicking us out of our, our lands and stuff. So like with Atya, it's kind of like, that's what, you know, work you're kind of leading the reader to be like, okay, like, yeah, she's in hiding because uh, people don't know that her, she's the last time that she like, or at least the people in the story, like the gods are like, they don't know that she still exists, right? That's the gist that I got. And yeah. So she's, yeah, so she's like, I want to keep it that way, <laughs> you know, so, but it's, it's still unfortunate that she still is kind of like living in the shadows, you know, and that's yeah. like, I think, yeah, and that's definitely think that it will definitely resonate with, with a lot of readers who identify that in like our, our so. real world. I think it's kind of a, a universal message, this Atia's journey of 
she's been forced to or she feels like she has to hide who she is and she struggles with kind of balancing who she wants to be versus who other people want her to be living up to the legacy of her parents which in this case is hiding to be safe so that she doesn't repeat their mistakes and she doesn't end up being killed like they were and yet how can she hide and kind of live up to their legacy and do what they would have wished for her and yet express herself and be herself. She can't because all she is doing is hiding from the gods, also hiding from the world, hiding from herself, not being able to make friends. And then she's also putting herself in this box. People have said, you're a monster, you're a nefas, you're this kind of evil, monstrous demon, and that's all you ever are. And she's forced to kind of think that's all she can ever be. And it's mm. only when she meets Silas and she goes on this journey that she learns she can be so much more than that. She learns who she actually is and she learns not only who she is, but to be proud of that mm. and to say to the world, if they have a problem with that, then that's their problem. And I think that's a message that a lot of teens can resonate with, that kind of pressure to be someone else, to be who their parents may want them to be, to follow in parents' footsteps or to to put themselves in these boxes to fit into who society thinks that they should be. And that kind of self-discovery of who they want to be is who they're actually supposed to be. And that was a really important part. And like I said, doing that with fantasy allows you to do it in a way that doesn't feel like you're trying to really hammer home this point in such an obvious way. It's a nice subtle way to hopefully make readers feel accepted and seen and like it is a safe place for them to, to discover their identities. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, with Atia, it's kind of like she, <laughs> I don't know, it's, you know, she, she's, you know, she's not a human, she's a monster. So, but um, <laughs> she has to like, ever the world working against her, right? Like, she just wants to be left alone almost or like she wants she like obviously you could tell she has some like desire for relationships for friendships but it's like i think readers can delight in the fact knowing that like she's still like she misses her parents like she misses this is her tragic backstory has like still like she's not completely numb she's just gotten used to having to live a certain way Yeah. yeah and i think it's like you know people might think like oh she's ruthless fear feeding you know <laughs> like <laughs> that was the balance that i tried to find and yeah. it's quite hard to do is if you build this character to be this monster who feeds off of nightmares and kind of you know the the premise of the book is that you know that eventually she's going to accidentally kind of kill someone and you build up that monster yeah like, how do i make her sympathetic and it's by yeah. having her go through those very human struggles of just trying to find herself dealing with her trauma of her parents feeling alone in the world feeling like she doesn't belong and also making her an imperfect heroine because yeah people don't want to read about the heroine that's perfect and has everything figured out because that means that their story is complete there's yeah. nothing more to tell in their story the story is how they get to that point how they become who they're supposed to be and how they get to a point where they can make good decisions rather than bad decisions. And that's kind of the fun journey that you need to explore because I don't want to read a book personally about everyone that's doing everything right all the time because I certainly right. don't do everything right all the time in real life. So <laughs> can't relate. I know. And when, when disaster just strikes, that's when the fun stuff happens. It's like, like it has, something has to go wrong. Something has to go not according to plan because then that's like, where's the fun in that? Right. Like, oh, this is, this is it really this easy. Like, no, it's not supposed to be that easy. Exactly. Like, when she makes the mistakes, that's when she learns and she grows. And that's actually when her life gets better. When she messes up a few times, 
and then things get better from there. You can't learn and you can't be a better person. Yeah. If nothing, if not, if you never mess up. So for yeah. Anthony, that's a part of her growth. And for Silas too, to be honest. Like, yeah. He's also a very monstrous character who doesn't remember his past. He doesn't know why he's been turned into a herald. All he knows is that he did something wrong yeah. in his human life and he's been punished by having to live in servitude and he should just accept it and not have a problem with it. But he can't because he has this yearning and hunger to know what he did, to understand who he is and kind of to discover if his past does define him or if he is defined by the actions in his present. And that's a a big struggle for him. That's such a complex like idea too. Cause I did, obviously I felt bad for Silas. I felt, you know, if you feel bad for these characters, even though they're kind of like, right. Like I, I, yeah. Like, cause you kind of, that's such a, like a complex, like, you know, internal struggle for any character be like, okay, I, like, he has no memory and he, yeah. Like, like exactly what you said, like, is this who I am? Like, is that the real me or is it, like, am I o- only who I am now because I have no idea who I was early, you know, like before that, that's, yeah. I I think that's such like a fascinating and, and I bet like really challenging, like approach <laughs> to, it was. you know, I, don't I make my own job more difficult to be honest, like <laughs> glutton for punishment, but it was nice to write those two different perspectives, I suppose, of both of them are trying to get to the same goal, right? To to be accepted, to find out who they are, but they're coming at it from very different ways. Atia's coming at it almost from like a way of revenge. And then Silas is coming at it where he wants to discover his past, but he's also really scared of what he might discover in his past. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they both got this kind of bravado, but they're both very much coming from a place of fear as well. And that was fun for me to write that, to have these characters that are literally kind of Silas is the epitome of death himself and yet he's just this scared little boy who doesn't know who he is or who his family is like I said I based him off of Hermes because I had this idea in my mind of Hermes delivering all these letters and then me thinking who's writing Hermes letters (laughs) Hermes must be so lonely oh my god and then that was the foundation for Silas's character of just this lonely death god just delivering messages and being like but where's mine right (laughs) that's such a funny thought that's so fun like that's what you got out of that just to be like well who's where are hermes's letters does he deliver them to himself like what yeah (laughs) it's like a little love letter to himself on valentine's day right yeah give a little some little correspondence here and there you know oh that's so funny that's such a good point though like wait like where i'm doing like where is he yeah it's like yeah. he's, he's this deaf creature and he delivers souls and he's constantly trying to comfort these lost souls. I mean, in his own blase kind of jaded way. Yeah. These lost souls. But nobody's ever like, oh, hey, Grim Reaper, how are you yeah. doing? Oh, hey, yeah. you know, what? how's your day been? It's always about other people. It's always about the gods and their messages or the dead and their comfort. It's never about Silas and when he meets Atia and he proposes his deal to her, that's the first time where he's thinking about himself and saying, well, hang on, I'm going to make it about me. I'm not going to just accept things. I'm not going to, you know, be placated. I'm going to actually go forward with this quest to find out who I am and to put myself first for once. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Be a little and selfish. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of like, nope, it's, it's my turn. I'm, I'm sick of this. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. no more souls. I want to find my old soul. I'm sick of all the whinging dead people. I want to find my own path. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, what, um, 
kind of want to piggyback because you mentioned earlier how like your previous works were like kind of based off of really really well-known storylines mm-hmm. that a lot you know a lot of people already are familiar with was there any like research involved that you know didn't you know I'm sure there was but like what how did you did you approach it um a similar way was there any like anything surprising that you learned things like that Yes, yeah, so for To Kill a Kingdom and Prince of Souls, those were based off a very well-known story. So I had kind of this base of, okay, for instance, in To Kill a Kingdom, there's a mermaid who wants to become human and she falls in love with the prince. It's kind of the rough guidelines for that story. Obviously, I did it with a murderous siren and a pirate assassin and stuff. And then for Rapunzel, <laughs> this girl is trapped in a tower. And again, she meets this prince who frees her. In my mind, I did it of, there's this dangerous witch that can foresee death and she steals souls for an immortal king and she's trapped in a tower for a reason and the prince doesn't come to rescue her, he comes to kill her. And I went from there, but I had that foundation to go off of. With Night Hunt, I didn't want to follow a specific story. I more wanted to take these characters and these archetypes and play around with them rather than a story in itself. So it didn't require research in the way my previous books did in terms of you know reading all the different versions and smashing them all together and then adding all my own madness in and creating something completely new it was more starting from scratch and placing these characters into my own world and changing their stories rather than taking their stories um and it required research into I guess like I said Hermes and Ate and kind of creatures of Greek mythology in this book I include a lot of monsters from Greek mythology and a lot of hopefully familiar familiar characters from Greek mythology that people might know, like the Sisters of Fae and stuff like that, or the Charon from like Hades Rivers. Um, but then also I wanted to include creatures from my own childhood horror stories, like mm-hmm. things like vampires and werewolves, these well-known monsters that we've all told stories about, kind of at sleepovers with torches on our face or whatever. And <laughs> I research the different laws and mythologies with them but then create my own laws and mythologies as well. So I kind of take a little bit here and then twist it up and mash it up completely. I always say my favorite thing is taking stories people think they know and just ruining them in the best way. (laughs) (laughs) And, oh, you think you know vampires? This is my version of vampire. And that was the fun part of the Night Hunt was researching not a story, but so many characters and so many monsters. So it really felt like an amalgamation of hundreds of different stories, which was really new for me, but super fun to write. It felt like a real quest. <laughs> <laughs> like your own little your own little adventure to do list. Yeah. My scrivener my scrivener's platform was just like so many documents and sub documents and like virtual court cords <laughs> of all these different monsters. I don't know why I do it to myself. I <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I mean, whatever, however your brain works, right? You got to plan it, map it somehow, some way so that yeah. it makes sense to you. Because if if you're still kind of still stuck on something, then that'll come across on the page, right? Oh, exactly. Even when I'm like crafting a character, a lot of the times what I'll do is just write them in a really like benign, just ridiculous scene, like Atia going shopping for groceries or something. <laughs> and then just so I can get to know the character, and obviously that will never be included in the book because that would be weird, but then it just helps me figure out the story, figure out how she might react to certain situations or what her personality is like. So, yeah, it's definitely there's a lot that goes into a book that nobody will ever see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Unless you, like, did some other, like, side piece project where it was, like, a, you know, her diary or something like that (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that'd be so funny. No, it was, I, I, like I said before, I really enjoyed getting to know her and, um, the kind of, you know, it's just like a, it's, it's like a humanized almost like monster character. Cause she's just unfortunately been around, forced to be around living in the human world. Um, and she can't even like, she still has to like hide like all the time. Yeah. And it's just, that just sounds so hide. exhausting, you know? <laughs> it is. And that's why as well, I had to have these kind of two looks. So she has her true monstrous form, which yep. she lets out when she's embracing her power and which she thinks nobody would ever find beautiful. And then she has her human form, which she shows the world and she uses to lull people in. And then she meets Silas and he loves her monstrous form. He loves when she embraces her power. He doesn't want her to push it away he sees it as something to be embraced um so i really like kind of have shown two sides of her two different worlds that lived within her and that's why i love our cover of the u.s cover like having her in full monstrous form on the front oh i love it so much i know when i went i saw the cover i was like what who's that what is she doing like before i even like started getting into it like but i think that because everybody sees the the cover obviously first but yeah i was like oh okay i was like yeah it has like like dark but like whimsical and and yeah. it shows like she's kind of you know she yeah she's like in action like she's she's doing her thing and yeah, yeah but like she is she does definitely. look really yeah she she looks great <laughs> she yeah, looks great I, I was so proud of it when we saw the sketches and um, julie Dillon was our kind of cover artist and we had the sketch for that and we had we had a couple of sketches. We had some that had Silas and Atia on the front together, and it was quite romantic. But then she showed us the sketch of that one with Atia in a monstrous form, just reaching out and kind of opening this portal. And we were like, "Yeah, we got to go for that." She looks yeah. badass. We can't yeah. not go for that one. <laughs> I had to say to my publishers, "We've got to include Silas somewhere, though. He can't be on the front because the front is Atia's. Like we have to have yeah. can we put him somewhere. And we, then we put him on the back, and we have him on the back in his kind of monstrous form as well. But we just could not sacrifice." Yeah, that compelling image of Atia on the front, kind of almost reaching out to tear through the world. Right, right, yeah, exactly. Because it makes the readers kind of be like, it's almost like, well, yeah, she's doing it. Is she doing it to you? Is she doing it to? Yeah. Is she doing it? <laughs> What's she doing? It just sounds, looks like she's coming for me, and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not sure. I hate it. You know, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I kind of want to see what's going on there. Yeah, I do agree. It was a really good, um, really good choice there too, and I'm glad it worked out that you're able to figure it out. Um, you know, some, I mean, I'm sure, you know, sometimes authors, they just don't, they don't quite, it doesn't quite, they don't quite get what they envision, but they still like, no, it's like, a lot of, like, yeah, you know, sometimes. yeah. Some publishers might say to you, this is your cover, deal with it. I'm yeah. very lucky that my publishers are so collaborative. Like they'll send me lists, portfolios of different artists and say, which artists do you like best? And we'll kind of see what ones we agree on. And then they send the sketches and they really do want my opinion every step of the way. And I, I don't tend to give my opinion like in a too much kind of way. You must do this. It's more like, oh, would this be cool? And it's kind of like when you do edits on a book, your editor's not yeah. just giving a letter and saying, you must do this. It's very much a discussion and a collaboration. Yeah. And so I really love that they allow me to be a part of that because, of course, nobody knows the book better than I do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but then nobody yeah. knows the audience and the marketing better than they do. So it's a great like team, dream team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's true. And co- plus it's like, you know, with October too, it's like, is there enough spook factor in there? Like it's yeah. a, the release date, like, you know, you, you don't, you know, with the author community, you're not always trying to like, you're inadvertently like 
are inevitably going to compete with other people who are, oh, yeah, you know, like titles that come out in the same re- way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, yeah, that's kind of, you know, my thing is like, well, I don't know, even if I like don't get to a book in like three years, I'll still buy it. Like, I don't. <laughs> well, I mean, people are so, still like, people still buy my debut that came out in 2018. So it's not like yeah. if a book comes out, it has to be read just then and there. Oh, right. Absolutely. Like, the great thing about books is that they live forever, right? Yes. Yes. Exactly. I one author I spoke to, she was kind of looking at it as like, oh, you know, it's if, if this is the only thing I do, then it's like kind of like my cool little legacy that I'm leaving behind. Like after I pass on, like it's still gonna be in the world. I'm like, that's such a cool way to look at it. Like that's absolutely right. You know, well, it's I like have you, a legacy. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I have a legacy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That goes my head. They know, right? I was like, no, that's that's a like a very uh you know, kind of an exalted word, but I, I dig it. I dig it. <laughs> um, so kind of want to bounce off of this. So you were talking about like the most enjoyable parts, um, were like just researching all the characters and 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 learning so much about all these different types of like monsters and things like that. Um, would you I, I usually ask a two-part question, like the most challenging parts to write versus the most enjoyable parts to write. So, um, yeah, kind of hopping off of that, if there's anything that you wanted to add on for the enjoyable part before you get into the challenging. The most enjoyable part is there's a specific chapter that I loved writing. Like, that comes to mind whenever kind of anyone asks me, oh, what was the most fun part to write? What was the most enjoyable write, thing to write? It was chapter 23, <laughs> which is... The chapter where, I mean, I'm not going to do many spoilers, but the chapter where Silas and Atia finally just have this quiet moment because there's a lot of, like you said, this book is one of my most fast-paced books, I would say. Even my mum, she was like, oh, I read it in two days. I'm like, well, thanks. <laughs> I mean, like two years to write. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't kind of hold back with that. It is kind of action-packed. It is about these monsters going on this journey, going on this quest. There's a lot to unpack. There's lots of kind of realms to travel through and things they have to tick off their murderous list. And then there's this quiet, really raw moment in chapter 23 where everyone else is asleep and Atia and Silas kind of are in the only one bed trope and they just Mm. lay there and they just have this really honest conversation about their wants and their hopes and their dreams. And Atia talks about her parents and her past. And she asks Silas kind of, why do you want to be human? Why don't you want to be a herald anymore? And both of them let down these walls that they normally have in the daylight when they're on the quest, when they're surrounded by everyone else, they have these boundaries up and kind of in that quiet of night, those walls kind of crumble down and it's just deadly silent around them. And they just have this really nice conversation. And that for me was the most fun part and the most interesting part of the book to write. Because there are so many loud moments. There's so many Mm -hmm. action moments just taking a, taking like a little sliver of time to have the two characters really bond and get to see another side of each other. I think that was the real turning point for their relationship. Obviously before that you have like the tentative glances and you have the romantic yeah. building. But that for me when there was a real turning point in their relationship. And after that chapter, I was like, well, now I get to really delve deeper into their romance and into all those aspects. So that was definitely the most fun for me to write. I, I like that too. Yeah. Cause it gives them a chance to like kind of, the readers kind of want to see it too. Like they want the characters to, to be able yeah. to breathe, to sit and like calm down. Exactly. Like they like, <laughs> and just to really kind of embrace each other. And I think it was the most romantic scene I've written that doesn't end in a kiss. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is hard to do because normally like a, a scene is building to like this thing, but for them, they're not there yet. So it's building and building and building and then it stops and you're like, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a, yeah, it does add to that tension, obviously, because it's just like, yeah, it's so intimate, but it's like the intimacy in like a different way, you know. It's, exactly. Which is the yeah. best kind, I think, to write because in romance, it's easy to write those kind of kissy scenes or well, it's not easy, but that's kind of inevitable to write those scenes, but getting to know each other on that that deeper level just feels a lot more raw and just feels a lot scarier. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And then um, what were like most challenging parts to write? For me, the most challenging part specifically was the ending, nope. <laughs> which I guess I can't <laughs> talk most about, but it was trying to balance Atia, Atia's change in herself and because she started the book in a very specific way and she needed to end the book in a very specific way. She needed to have that journey where she changes. But for her to do that without sacrificing who she is, a lot of the times, I think, in a lot of books or a lot of stories, the character changes so dramatically, they're nothing like what they were and all their wants and all their needs change. When you have kind of, say, characters who are the chosen one, they might start out as like this orphan character and then they end as like the queen And with Atia, I really wanted her character to still keep those kind of core values of who she is and to still be proud of who she is. So no matter what happened on her journey, she ended the book with kind of a mirror. There was like a parallel to how she started and how she ended, even though all these things have been achieved and et cetera, et cetera, spoiler, spoiler, there was still (laughs) very much a parallel and there was still very much her being proud of who she was in the first place. So, yes, she has changed and she's grown in power and blah, 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 but she still remembers who she was. She remembers who her family was and she doesn't ever lose that. Yeah. And it was hard to find that balance. And I think we did it really well, like particularly the very final chapter, I think really summarized that journey really, really well. But it was it was hard to get there to be like, she's changed so much about the book. How do we still get her to have that mirror of of who she was? And to have that message of acceptance run through because you can't accept who you are if you've completely changed everything yeah. about who you are. There has to be that kind of thread. Yeah. Plus, yeah, it's like she wasn't, I think, being accepting who you were, like, even before you you went through this, like, intense journey. I think that's mm-hmm. so important, too, just to be like, yeah. you know what, like, like, I'm not you know for her to look at herself and be like you know what like i'm i'm great just the way i am and now i'm like yeah, i'm not losing this new level yeah like i think yeah and then plus you know you wanted to do the same uh to a lesser extent that with like with silas and the other there's like tristan and yeah. oh my i forget who was what was the band oh killian name? yeah killian, killian. <laughs> i know i, I like i love too. a little, little soft like yeah, like Tristan, he's like our little sweet summer child. Like he did a little kind of secondary romance. Yeah, <laughs> it was adorable. Yeah, that was adorable too. But I think they were a really good compliment to like the whole group, right? Because they were like, obviously, like you know, they weren't. Tristan wasn't the ruthless type, but he he was like the scribe, the scholar, the academic. He like. He's like, no, wait, I have, I, I have like a, a page in my book for that. Like, it was like, exactly oh, wait. Of, <laughs> exactly. It's that thing of in, I don't know if you ever watched Buffy, but there's like, I think it might be season four. I think it's season four. And there's a thing of them all coming together and like merging together so they can defeat this big bad. And Buffy is obviously the vampire saying she's the strength. And then you have this character called Xander, who's like the heart. And they all encompass different, different kinds of strength and different parts of heroism. 
And that's what I tried to do with the characters in the Night Hunt. So, you know, Atti obviously has the physical strength. Like you said, Tristan, he has the mental strength. He's the one with all his books. He knows everything. Killian's like the heart. He's the one that keeps the group together and binds them. And like I said, they're a really nice way to complement each other and bring out different parts of each other's personalities. Because especially yeah. in a romance, it's very important. Atti and Silas can't live in a bubble. They can't just be the only people influencing each other's lives because that's a bit codependent. (laughs) (laughs) They have to grow with other people and they have to experience things with other people and learn to trust other people, not just themselves. You can't have, you know, one person in your life and they are your absolute everything. They have to be a part of each other's journey without being the all-encompassing be-all and end-all of each other's journey. So, yeah, I really liked writing Tristan and and Killian for that. Plus, they, like, provided the... The banter and the comic relief. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think <laughs> kind of laughing at all the like monstrous stuff and just being like, you guys are really over dramatic. Looking right. at it. it's like sort your mess out. You guys are a bit extra. <laughs> Saying what the reader wants to say. Right. It's almost yeah, exactly. Like that kind of like breaking that tension where it's like like the you know the looming like seriousness, but then mm-hmm. you have the characters who are like, really, guys, like come on, like what. <laughs> <laughs> we all laugh in the face of angel like when something happens or even when you're grieving when you're going through stuff you you find humor in those dark moments it can't be serious all the time you yeah. have to find that levity i really i think one of my favorite parts was um i just loved when she was like i've not you know she was trying to figure out, i was like well what what can i eat like what am i going to eat while i'm <laughs> down here and he's like well i have some chocolate cake it's like i well, what's that like they're like oh my god atia you have to try that <laughs> cake like she <laughs> Unwraps his paint, she's like, um, no. And then she eats it and her life has changed. Yeah. I love our lives are changed by chocolate cake. I know. It was so simple, but then I love how they were excited. Like they had the excitement of like, it's your first time we get to witness your first time trying this. Like, no, you have to do it. Like just that, that, and there's like the human, it's like part of the human experience, like just like that indulging and that, you know, you have having small things. Yeah. Laughing with your friends in the bedroom and just forgetting the world for a bit. No, I yeah, I enjoyed that, and that's yeah, because it was so funny. Because <laughs> Silas doesn't need; he wouldn't have told her. Like he would have been like, "Well, that's that's on you. That's up yeah. to you. You got to figure that out. I don't eat. I don't need food." Like what? <laughs> but then watching them, he's like almost a little bit jealous of. Oh, look what they're experiencing. They have this thing that I can't have and I can't experience, and that's part of his journey. Is like, oh, I want to be a part of that. I want to be in yeah. your crew. Yeah, even though I pretend not to be, and I'm all serious in my kind exactly. of suit, my pocket watch. I see what you want. Because look at this facade. Yeah, it's like that's how they they relate to each other. It's like they got to put up this like this version of themselves. And yeah, like, exactly. You know, because that's yeah. yeah. I love that. It's like I all yeah. I like they love the found family trope. It worked really well for sure. Um, so just a couple more questions. Okay, I'm gonna throw this at you. Um, what what advice, uh, what advice do you have for Silas? Get a grip. No. Um, <laughs> for Atia the advice I advice at the beginning of the book because towards the end she's taken advice and she's learned but towards the beginning of the book I would say that asking for help is not weakness and that fear is not weakness and sometimes the strongest thing you can do is ask for help and to rely on other people that takes a lot of strength to kind of lay yourself bare and say to people I'm in trouble I need help can you help me so mm-hmm. that's the advice I would give to Atia at the beginning of the book. To Silas. <laughs> 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 to Silas, I would go through that 
thing of what I said earlier of like the past not defining you to say stop focusing so much on who you were and focus more on who you can be in this moment and being proud of who you can be in this moment and if you're not proud of who you are then working to change who you are now rather than who you were 5 10 15 years ago like that's irrelevant the past has already happened and it can't be changed so there's no point worrying over it but what can be changed is the future and that is what is in your power to change Mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. like that <laughs> something like that along those lines <laughs> oh that's uh yeah that's solid advice very fitting and i think um that's even something that like was that would that would that kind of be something that you hope your readers get out of that too because i feel like that would resonate with readers too oh absolutely absolutely i think we're all kind of we all live in the past we all they kind of wake up one night in cold sweats like thinking about an argument we had 10 years ago right but the important Ridic- thing is, yeah, it's, yeah it pops up the most inconvenient moments. you have the, you have the retort <laughs> that you should have said you're like oh why did i say yep. that yep <laughs> <laughs> but the point is you know what's happened happens yeah i hope that readers learn that and that take that away from the book that one they should ask for help they should find their family even if it's not blood family find their people and be able to rely on them and find home in them and just not worry about the past and just put their energies into the present and the future and living in the now because worrying about the past, it never got anyone anywhere. It never did anyone any good. It just makes you more and more anxious. The more you think about it and you go into a huge tailspin and then you're not focusing on being happy. You're focusing on when you were miserable. Yeah. Yeah. What does that do? And that's a good point because that's when you could argue that that's when Silas, like he kind of, his, his story is kind of propelled because he started looking at the now yeah he, he wasn't brooding over it he was like well you know it's like yeah i want to know my past but that means i have to act now like i have to yeah. see what where do i want to be you know after this kind of thing like what, what's that's my what goal Asia kind of forces him to do is to look to the future for the first time and i think that's what yeah. draws it to her yeah yeah absolutely i like no i love that i definitely love that it's, it's like solid advice all around for sure i an advice column so this book thing go. doesn't work out i'm gonna be a <laughs> There you go. There you go. Um, so what is next for you? Are you working on anything that you could talk about? Yes and no. Uh, so <laughs> one thing I am currently have written and is being sent out to publishers. So we're crossing our fingers is a new YA book. It is, what's the word? It's not, I'd say the books I write now are like, High fantasy? Is it low fantasy? I don't know what you'd call it. Where it's like urban <laughs> fantasy? I don't know. Fantasy set in our world, but like a different version of our world. Okay. And it is more of a horror. So I'd call it like my fantasy horror book. And it is about a small town filled with ghosts. Okay. And that is all I can say about it. But it's very much a ghostly, a ghostly book, a ghostly romance. And I was very much excited to combine horror and romance for once and to play with the boundaries of our own world rather than creating an entirely new one which i've always done take our world and then play with the magic that exists within our own world and create a new version of our world that for me was super fun to do so that will hopefully be out in the world soon and then i am also in the midst of writing my first adult book I cannot say anything else about it apart from it is my very first adult book. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That is very exciting and an entirely new challenge. But that's what I love about writing is is every project is super brand new and I'm learning a lot. And for this book, my writing process has changed entirely. It's so different to how I approach writing a YA book 
writing an adult book and I'm doing everything completely out of order. Yeah. Yeah. That, oh, that's so fun. I, yeah. Because I, uh, I love it when authors like they kind of branch out and they go for like a different audience, like age group or yeah, things I like, I think that's so cool. Story. And yeah, I don't yeah. ever sit down and be like, I must write YA. It's more I write yeah. a story. If a story comes to me, comes to me, and this is the one that's in my mind now. So I must write it. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Because you come out with like, the, this is my story that I, I'm on right now. And there are, there are authors who are like, you know what? I started writing it one way, but then it became very obvious that it had to be for this mm-hmm. age group or it had to be, you know. And sometimes that is from for an older age group to be or like they call it new adult sometimes you know like whether it's like yeah. a little older than YA and I think yeah I think that's so more of a thing now it mm-hmm. used to be a thing back in the day and then it like disappeared and kind of almost got merged with young adult but yeah. now it's starting to be able to break free again which is yeah. really exciting yeah because there are certain elements yeah that you can you can go a little bit further with like obviously some of the romance too yeah. but like you know you just like a little bit freeing to like have like uh you know really lower the inhibitions a little bit right like just to oh, 100%. that's what yeah. i'm finding with this adult book is it's very very free and because i don't have to worry about the parents yeah <laughs> i don't have to worry about my language yeah and yeah to worry about the kissy kissy scenes so yeah, yeah it, it's a great experience i feel like i am just let loose which could be a very dangerous thing <laughs> It's like, oh, don't give me too much freedom. I don't know. <laughs> what will I do with this power? <laughs> it's like, oh gosh, she's was too she's gone too far. No, no going back. Never. <laughs> <laughs> um Alexandra Christo, The Night Hunt. Uh that book is available now. Where can we find you online and on social media? Yes, so I am on Instagram at Alexandra Christo Writes. Um I am on TikTok at Alexandra Christo Talk. I'm on the dreaded X at yeah. Alex Christo. <laughs> and yeah, that's where you can find me or at alexandracristo.com is my website where you'll find all the information on all my latest books. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Cause like I said, it's fun, fun book. I liked, you know, just getting to know all the characters. Um, I could tell you had fun too. And I, I'll keep an eye out for you and feel free to come back and we can chat again. I'll bob out your new exciting projects going on. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. And there you go. That was Alexandra Christo talking about The Night Hunt. That book is available now. Check out the show notes uh, to find links where you can purchase the book and where you can find her on social media and online. Uh, make sure to, while you're at it, while you're following her, make sure you add us and follow um, Cantina Book Club on all that good social media stuff as well. Rate, review, subscribe. If you need book recommendations, check out my book reviews on cantinabookclub.com. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening.